0: The story of Nicodemus and Jesus, their conversation they had one night, is a very familiar story. Is it not? This is one of those stories that after you've been in the church for a while, you, know, you hear sermon and sermon after it. In Sunday school you go over it and it's in Bible study material. You just You don't get away from a story like this. It's just very familiar. Indeed, from this story is where we get... The, if not the most widely um, recited scripture, at least one of them. For God so loved the world, right? How does it go? Very good. Round of applause. Out of that interaction with Nicodemus is where we get one of those, that verse. Now, the challenge that you and I have is to take a story like this one, one that is so familiar, one that we do feel like we know and we're comfortable with and we know what's going on, and try to figure out what can we see in here that's new? Or how can I see this story with new eyes? Today I hope we can kind of do that. But before we get there, we've got to make sure we cover some basic ground to make sure we're all on the same page. And since you all know it so well, you can help me out, okay? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. John says he was a leader of the Jews. Tells us uh, he was some type of teacher. More than likely was on the ruling council, Sanhedrin, which is, kind of makes all the decisions in this community, religious and otherwise. Um, at the very least, we can say about Nicodemus... He was a well-to-do, respected type person. Okay? Now, John doesn't give us any hint of this, but let's just kind of see. You have this well-to-do, respected, blah, blah, blah kind of person coming to this young, know-it-all guy that everybody's been talking about. You ever thought about Jesus that way? So... Again, is there anything there? Who knows? But he he comes to Jesus, and and like you've probably been told in all your other sermons or whatever, you've been shown the emphasis that Nicodemus came by night. We're going to talk about night in a little bit. But Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. And he says, Rabbi, don't gloss over that, because whether he meant it or not, he is recognizing Jesus as a rabbi in a sense, putting Jesus on the same playing field as himself, whether he means it or not. He could have just said, hey, you or kid, this is what I've heard. But Rabbi, we, we know you are from God because nobody can do the things that you have been doing without the presence of God. Now, the presence of God is a very important thing in this religious tradition, isn't it? Remember what we read, if you will, at the verse, first part of our service in Isaiah's reading. Isaiah's call and this vision he has of the temple. The temple is filled with the presence of God. And what happens? These, these beings that are there, they, they have to cover their eyes and their body. And Isaiah himself is just, he, he's so humbled and he's not worthy and all that kind of stuff. Because the presence of God was a, a big deal in this world, in their world. And I would hope, you know, my own opinion put in that it would still be a big deal for us today. But nobody can do these things but from the presence of God. And you know, Jesus, he doesn't really exchange pleasantries, does he? I mean, the nice thing would have been said, "Hey, oh, hey, Nicodemus, yeah, I heard you too. That, hey, that sermon you did a few weeks ago, that was all right. That made me think. But he doesn't do that. He gets right to his own well, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born anew. Or some of your Bibles will say born again or born from above. And the, it, it's really hard sometimes to take the Greek language or any language. If, if you know if you know different languages and you try to translate that whole idea about getting lost in translation, this is one of those instances. And it's real hard for us to put any kind of assertive claim about what was really said there. Did he say born again? Did he say born anew? Or did he say born from above? I would just be careful if we're going to try to use that to kind of give anybody some kind of point. Just don't know. But regardless, Jesus says you must be born something, and Nicodemus automatically takes his own understanding and says, wait a minute, I'm pretty old. So either you're telling me I wasn't born right, Or somehow I have to be reborn. Now, um, how does that really work? Am I supposed to go back in so I can cut? That that just doesn't make sense. Nicodemus, for anyone to know the kingdom of God, he must be born by water and the Spirit. And I can just see Nicodemus with this look on his face like, what are you doing? talking about you give nicodemus a chance it's really easy for us to look back and say well why did not he get it maybe he should have of course if you look at jesus you are a teacher of the law and you don't know what i'm saying you study this stuff day and night and you don't get it now for me what i don't what i think nicodemus is missing what Jesus is telling him is that in order for the kingdom of God to be here, to be with somebody, there has to be something. And we just can't get away from this, can we? But if you remember, we've said before that the kingdom of God brings change. I see Jesus trying to get through to Nicodemus. You cannot have the kingdom of God without some type of change, Nicodemus. You read from Ezekiel and you don't get that? You know what the prophets say and you can't get that on your own? And you're the teacher that's telling everybody else about this stuff? Then in the story, there's kind of a break. And in this passage, we don't hear anything about Nicodemus again. Some people would suggest that what, ha- what follows is sort of John's interpretation of uh, that conversation between Jesus and Nic- Nicodemus, and that's an idea for you. But there are other times where Nicodemus is mentioned. I want us to go back to the first part of the story, but before we do that, I want to remind you of two other instances that's important for us to think about. One is, one point, Jesus is in front of the ruling council, And these people, these councilmen, are trying to find something to accuse Jesus for. Something to find against him. There's one person who, the best way he can, stands up for Jesus. Take a guess who that might be Nicodemus. Jesus gets sent to the cross, he's crucified. We are assured he's dead. He is being taken down, prepared for burial. Somebody is there helping in that process. Take a stab of who that somebody might be. Nicodemus. Keep that in your mind. Let's go back to the first part of the story. story that we've all heard, many of us have heard over and over and over. And We get told about the emphasis of Nicodemus coming by night. And that John sets up this image of light and darkness. And that Nicodemus comes representing darkness. You all with me? Let's take up an assumption that maybe some of us aren't familiar with. Let's say, let's assume that for John, Nicodemus represents this darkness. But a darkness that stands against light. A darkness that says light is no good. So in other words, Nicodemus is going to see Jesus so that he can maybe find some dirt on him. Find something about him that he can use against him. Okay? Y'all with me? Let's assume that's why he came. This wasn't a, a debate. It wasn't a competition or anything. But if I were to ask you, based on... John chapter 3, the first part of it, that conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, if I were to ask you, who do you think won that conversation, who would you say? I think I'd say Jesus. See, because Nicodemus, all he has is questions and misunderstandings, and it's Jesus is the one who, who has the right answers and seems to have the clear understanding. And really, it's from the get-go that John portrays it that that's going on. So according to John... Nicodemus never had a shot at Jesus. Maybe we could say John is saying darkness doesn't have a shot against light. Now there's some truth in that. Let's make another assumption, a different assumption. Let's assume Nicodemus is representing darkness still but a different kind of darkness not a darkness that stands against and counter opposite to light but a dark you know when it's dark it's hard to see it's hard to find your way around isn't it so so maybe nicodemus is sort of representing this spiritual darkness doesn't know where to go doesn't have the right answers not against light just doesn't know where to find it that makes sense there's a story that as One night as a young mother was laying her young son down for bedtime, a storm was blowing through. And as she tucked him in, the, the wind was blowing, lightning was crackling. And as she turned to go out of the room to turn off the lights, she could hear her son calling, Mom, I'm scared. Can you sleep in my bed tonight? The mother with a big warm smile on her face says, Honey, I can't do that. I need to sleep in your father's room tonight. Which her son replies, that big baby. (laughs) Fear. Fear can make us do weird things. And maybe if we say Nicodemus is representing sort of this searching darkness, certainly we've heard the argument that the reason why Nicodemus came at night is because he was fearful of something. What might he have been fearful of? Boy, if those other councilmen find out I came to talk to this guy, I will never hear the end of it. They will be on me. They will want to know why I've lost it. They will want to know why I'm going against them. In other words, maybe Nicodemus is fearful Because of what everybody else around him is going to think, say, or do. Because he went to see Jesus. Now that puts a question in me that I just have to ask. And I wonder, in the church, with all of our our gleams, our glances, with all of our expectations of other people, with all of our assumptions about other people, with all of our language we use sometimes in church, with all these kinds of things, I wonder how uncomfortable or how fearful we can make people for them to have an experience with Christ. I'm just going to stay quiet for a few seconds on purpose. If Nicodemus sort of represents this confused darkness, would it be safe to say that he found some kind, he was given some kind of answer? I think so. He was given a very good answer. Regardless of what you think Nicodemus might be representing, what kind of darkness he's getting, here's the reality. However he came into the story, he finished in a different way. Something happened. Isn't that what you said, Bob? Something happened, and now I know. Something happened to Nicodemus that changed how he came in his meeting with Jesus, that changed him he was touched i would say whether he came in as standing against darkness one who was trying to find something to accuse jesus with if that's the way he came in remember how he finished off he was the only one ready to stand up to defend jesus that's a change or if he came in the other way fearful hoping nobody saw him while he was there if that's the way he came in, whatever happened when he talked to Jesus, at the end, I have to believe as they're taking Jesus down off of that cross, you know, what, all those people who had gathered that day, they're still around there. And they can see who's doing what. They see Nicodemus helping take Jesus down. A very public and I think a very bold move on Nicodemus. So regardless how he entered the story, Something happened to change him. Now, from church to church to church, city to city to city that I know we've been to, the faces change, people change, the people, but the lives don't. And what I mean is, you know, marriage problems in a big city for a family or marriage problems in a little city for a family. Raising kids is hard in this church the same way raising kids is difficult in this church. Loneliness for someone over here is the same as loneliness for someone over here. Addiction is the same kind of addiction over here as it is over here. Suffering, frustration that people feel is the same in a big town as it is for a little town. It affects people the same way. The reason why I tell you that is because sometimes talking to people, I get this impression that we can get this feeling where... Oh, man, what I'm dealing with right now is just so out of this league that no one could ever understand it. And my feeling is, if we ever get to that point, then what we are saying is darkness has a shot against light. And that's not what John was trying to tell us. According to John, not me, but him, but I'm going to stand up for him, according to John, Darkness does not have a shot at light. Y'all with me? Yeah, but Pastor John, you don't know. Either light wins or it doesn't. Nicodemus was changed. He was touched. Something happened there. And I just want to give you this encouragement. It may be for you right now. But it may just be for you to keep and hold on so you can give to somebody else later on. Because, you know, it's not always about us, is it? But if you just have the littlest bit of light, hold on to that. And every time you hear a story that's so familiar like this one, or every time you hear a new one that you hadn't heard, or any time you learn something new about God, about faith, about yourself, just keep holding on to it. Let it grow and let it grow and let that light grow so much that it just can't be ignored. Where you can stand up confidently and say, Darkness does not have a shot against the light. Are y'all with me? I would hope that this could be a place where we could all experience. This isn't the only place. It can happen around a prayer circle at someone's home. It can happen around dinner time. It can happen even on the phone when, when, when we have to call somebody to get help or when we have to just lay our heart out to somebody. But I want to encourage each of you to be open, to be receptive, to have your hearts open, your, your eyes open, your ears and your mind open to how Christ is calling out to each one of us and how that experience can change us. In Jesus' name.